0: Apple presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Joe Neumeyer.
1: Thank you very much. The movie tonight is Love and Mercy. I've seen it about three times, about once at the Toronto Film Festival, twice in the last three or four days without even knowing I was going to be here. The mercy is above us all. The love, though, I love, love this movie, and you're going to see why, because it has so much in it, not least of which is It is one of the few films I've seen that really captures how the artistic process goes in making a masterpiece. It's really terrific. We are very lucky to have with us tonight the film's director, Bill Polad, John Cusack, and the legendary Brian Wilson and Melinda Wilson. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to introduce the trailer first, though. Excuse me. Can I help you today? I'd like to buy a car. Hi, I'm Dr. Eugene Landy. Do you know who this man is? Brian Wilson. Of the Beach Boys.
2: Ah. Round, round, get around, I get around. Yeah, get around, round, round. round. Hey, We've all grew up in California. The brothers here, Dennis, Brian, and Carl.
0: So I listened to those harmonies. I would teach them to my brothers. And we'd all sing. Listen to me, I'm going on and on. What about you, Melinda? Why don't you have a boyfriend?
2: He broke my heart.
0: He shouldn't have done that.
2: You hear the new Beatles? We can't let them get ahead of us. Got all kinds of new ideas, new sounds, new instruments. You think we could get a horse in here? I'm picking up good vibrations. We've played with everything. Sinatra, Elvis. But you have blown our minds.
1: If you want to continue to see him, you should know. Brian is a very, very sick man.
0: And your voices. I didn't tell you because I didn't want to scare you away.
1: The talking in your head, that's part of the song? Jesus Christ! part of the music. You are not hungry, you think you're hungry! Stop. Stop! Stop! Brian, time
3: for your pills. Come on.
1: I may not... I need you to report to me your thoughts, your feelings. His thoughts, his feelings. I'm giving you unprecedented access. He's my legal guardian. Yeah. He's
0: protecting me. No,
3: he's over-medicating you.
0: Can you swim? <laughs> no! I will not be able to see you
3: anymore. You
2: can't do that, Gene.
0: Yes, I can. I have to say to myself five times a day I love you. Does it work? I don't know. Sometimes I wish I had somebody else to say it to. God only knows
2: what I'd be
0: without you.
2: I do not want to be one more person who wants something from you. So I'm gonna walk away.
1: Why can't I be with her, Gene? For the same reason, man, that you cannot be with anybody
0: knows what I I'm gonna beat this and I'm gonna beat you! You need to get back to
2: your life. You and me, we're gonna walk out of here right now and everything will change.
1: Please welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Bill Polled, John Kusack, and Brian Wilson. John. Thank, gentlemen, thank you so much and congratulations on an extraordinary film. I just gave it uh, four stars in the New York Daily News. Bill, tell us how you came to it. Brian's story, uh, we all know bits and pieces of it, but how did you come to put it on film?
3: Uh, well, there was, I mean, people have been trying to make a movie about Brian for a long time. Um, there, there have been various attempts, and I think one TV movie made. Um, but, you know, a real serious effort was going on. Uh, for a few years before I saw it. Um, It was a script that came to me called Heroes and Villains. Um, uh, And it was a little different, a more traditional take on it. And so when I read it, I was really interested in the idea but wanted to change it into a more intimate portrait. And that's kind of what we did uh, with John Wells' company and uh, developed it from scratch at that point. And this is what it became. Mm
1: Brian, what was the most crucial thing for you in uh, talking with Bill as the project started to go? What were one or two of the main things that you wanted to get My across? I mom to
2: make sure that he casted the uh, portrayals of me, you know, good, so that when we made the movie, people will like the the closeness of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And John, you have the formidable task of playing Brian. Uh, one of the things that... that struck me about your performance is there is a very innocent quality to it, a childlike quality, uh, and yet uh, yet also the sense of having seen so much. How did you work with Brian on, on finding just sort of the right note to, to hit?
0: Well, you know, I worked with, um, I, I met Brian and his wife Melinda, who's sitting right here, who's in the movie. Uh, yeah. And I worked with Bill and Oren, and, um, and they all worked so hard at it with Paul Dano, so um, the Wilsons were gracious enough to let me come into their their life and come to their home and, you know, the dogs were running around and their kids were running around and um, to sit with him because that period of his life is a little less public and less known. In fact, it was it's a, there's a lot of legend and lore about that period of his life. So, um, you know, it was nice to be able to speak to Melinda and Gloria who works with them and, and just say, well, what, what happened and what was the relationship like with Dr. Landy? And it yeah. uh, wasn't maybe the most pleasant part of his life so but they were very gracious to you know speak openly about it because even though a biopic um, that genre they try to tell everything you know we admitted by the fact that we had two actors playing Brian that you can you can't make a definitive version of anything But what you can do is make an album or a song that's true to the source and I always went back to Brian's music and um and just you know really dove into his music just to try to figure out what he must have been feeling and what, what it must have been like for him. Um, but I, I couldn't have done my part of it, at least without the the Wilsons kind no. of talking to me and letting me feel it.
1: Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting because the vulnerability that's in your performance and Paul's very much feels of a piece with the music, with the music of the Beach Boys, Brian's music and Pet Sounds We particular. sort of hoped
0: that, uh, or Bill's vision of this was that, there would, that you'd have two actors playing Brian and um, not not trying to do a unified performance, but, just coming from our hearts, yeah. and hopefully, they would harmonize.
1: Yeah, and and, and yeah. it all
0: came back from the music.
1: Yeah, and they do. Let's take a look very quickly at one of the scenes here with Paul Dano in it.
3: Yeah,
2: re- remember, it's the uh, 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 higher octave on the upbeats in the bridge.
3: Hey, Brian. Yeah, I love
0: that. Brian.
3: Yeah. I think you might have screwed up here.
0: Really? Let me see.
3: Well, you've got Lyle playing in D, and the rest of us are in A major. Yeah, that's right. How does that work? Two bass lines and two different keys?
2: Well, it works in my head. It's all playing in my head, the orchestration. And five vocal parts. I think it's going to work. Let's try it. Oh, oh, pow, pow. here's how I want you to do it. it goes... Uh, uh, boom! Two, three, four. So it's uh, the, the first beat on the last bar of the intro. Boom! two, three.
1: I mentioned at the start that this film really captures how a masterwork is created. Bill, how did you kind of go about trying to find that spot where inspiration and planning and serendipity all sort of come together to create a masterpiece like that?
3: Well, again, it's a, a big responsibility to try to recreate a really seminal period in music and in popular music and in Brian's career. Um, but I guess what I channeled more was uh, some of the early documentaries that I grew up with. Or occasionally you'd see things like you know, Let It Be or Sympathy for the Devil that were real kind of inside looks. We didn't really have VH1 behind the music or yeah, any of yeah. those things but, back then. So it was really those were the things I was trying to emulate, real doc-style footage of you know, where you felt like you were really there. And that's what we tried to do. We hired real musicians instead of actors. We sat them down, dressed them up in period clothes and sat them down, but they really didn't rehearse. Instead, they, it was like a normal session that they would come in and do. Uh, we had Paul kind of steeped in the sound of Brian and how he would work in the studio. And Paul came in with the music, and they started working as if it was a real session. It really was a real session, and we had two 16-millimeter cameras shooting, just totally like
1: a dock. Yeah, and the, and the, the there's a scene with the cellos where he's having the cellos kind of do that that uh, is so recognizable. After you see the film, you're gonna to want to listen to Pet Sounds about 17 times. And, and don't them, don't and, forget
0: smile sessions.
1: And smile sessions. That's which, exactly right. Which and the bl- smile blows, sessions, which blows your mind, are every equally time amazing. Um, and and so you real, but you get a sense. It's almost like you were really there. It is. It does have a documentary feel. But it for about forty five minutes to fifty five minutes, uh, it is really. It is just an extraordinary. Uh, piece of, of I, I compared it to like an Amadeus when you're watching Mozart and Taylor come up with something it's the same kind of thing it was filmed in the original studio correct yeah. that uh, yeah. Brian Western well, Recorder. Yeah. yeah that's amazing it's it's still there you found it deliberately yeah. in the back you mentioned that there's a, an area that looks like 1965
3: no I mean you walk into the main area and it looks modern they've redone it but once you walk into the studios themselves each one still has that feel one of the studios Frank Sinatra recorded in and Brian and all the greats from that era. And then the smallest studio, Studio 3, is the one that Brian recorded most of Pet Sounds in. So you probably got to look there. You would jam these musicians in there. You can't believe how many people he would get in there, as well as dogs and all sorts of things. And But this beautiful music came out of it.
1: Upwards of, I believe, tw- like 25 or 30 musicians or so, right?
3: I mean, it feels like Brian. 15. Wow, about 15. It was, yeah. 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 It felt like 25
1: It felt like 25, <laughs> felt like 25 yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure that for everything we see on film, I'm sure there was even probably two or three levels to the recording that probably, you know, couldn't get on film. It was just too, uh, there was just so much going on, right?
2: Yeah, there were too many instruments playing all together. Yeah. You know, guitars, pianos, basses, uh, horns, yeah. violins.
1: Yeah. 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 And a dog. You do bring in the dog. Yeah, for we do bring in the dog, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> I want to bring up the uh, the extraordinary performance by Paul Dano as well. And John, did you connect with Paul on how to play Brian at various points? Did you guys ever have a conversation like that?
0: We we didn't. Um, I think it was always Bill's uh, idea that we would do. I said you know two yeah. different kind of yeah. songs about Brian and, yeah. and hope they'd harmonize. Yeah. Um, I did find out later that we both used uh, the Smile sessions as sort of a fulcrum. That's right. Um, although none of it was choreographed or planned, and uh, because that's sort of I think. From what I understand that that was really a kind of a creative apex for him. And then the fact that it um, it wasn't received as the classics that it was, that it really was, um, it took him a long time to kind of be able to play that and, and come to embrace Smile. And so I, I found out that we both sort of used that to to connect to each other in some way.
1: That's amazing. The uh, the section of the film that's set in the mid 80s is also very much about how a love story saves Brian's life. Let's take a little look at a clip from that.
0: You want
2: to go? Oh, did you,
0: yeah. I... forgot your apartment number.
2: Ah, uh, well, it's a good thing the loudspeaker worked.
0: Yeah. Hmm.
2: Why does it feel like the prom all of a sudden?
0: I'm not sure. Thank you. Hey, Melinda. Hi. You look great. Uh, hi.
1: That's a, a very sweet scene that then when the appearance of Paul Giamatti in the car obviously takes another turn. Brian, how uh, how was Paul's performance uh, as Dr. Landy? How does that track with your experience with him who was well, so controlled? Well, he was
2: casted so, so perfectly, even his voice was a lot like Dr. Landy's voice. Yeah. For a second there, I actually thought that was the real Dr. Landy yeah, yeah. in the film. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. The, uh, and that that portion of your life, get about seventy-five to about eighty-five or so, right? Is uh, right. Yeah, eighty-five. And uh, and Melinda Melinda Elizabeth Banks plays her uh, in the film. You guys, uh, what year did you get married, you and Melinda? Nineteen ninety-five. Nineteen ninety-five. Yeah. So that love story in there, John, is is very much a crucial part of the film. Um, the sweetness, the vulnerability that I think we just mentioned a couple of minutes ago. In speaking with the Wilsons about it, um, what was the the a crux for you of of how that relationship? Came to really uh, kind of save Brian.
0: Well, I think, um, I think, I believe just from meeting them that that Melinda um, saved his life in a, in a way because I think the the doctor was um, kind of criminal in, yeah. in the way he was behaving, um, and um, I think Brian. It seems to me that he, uh, f- for all the complexities of his family life and working with the Beach Boys, and and doing this revolutionary kind of music, that. If you, if you think about what he was doing with one ear and he was influencing the Beatles across the Atlantic, and that was George Martin, Ringo Starr, yeah, yeah, yeah. George Harrison, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, and he, they would write Rubber Soul, and then he would get his mind blown, and he would write God Only Knows, and it, it, this creativity kind of went back and forth across the Atlantic, and yet he never, um, I think, God as unconditionally accepted and loved as much as Perhaps he found with Melinda. So uh, I think um, you know it was a it was a, a crucial thing in his life, and it seems very obvious to when you meet the Wilsons that yeah. they're meant to be together.
1: Yeah. and that that line that's in the in the film, Brian, of uh, that you're sitting around at the pool with your brothers and, and Mike Love, and you say we've got to one up these guys. You hear what they did on on Rubber Soul, or we got to, we have to one up them, right? That that those kind of conversations that must. have Well, been yeah, but we court. heard Rubber
2: Soul. Yeah. And, and as soon as I heard it, I said I got to write a, an album like that, you know. Yeah. So I wrote "God Only Knows" with my friend in about 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And it. <laughs> <laughs> Do
1: you know how long it took him to make Rubber Soul or, or any of No, other I don't know. That? More, <laughs> than minutes. More than 45. More than 45. And then yeah. you can hear.
0: And then when you hear the, the, the Smile record that came out in the Smile sessions, and you you understand yeah. that like uh, Paul McCartney was there, and then you can hear Sergeant Pepper's in Smile, yeah. and yeah. you know. Finally, later when he was with Melinda and had gotten away from Dr. Landy, um, uh, there was Paul McCartney in the front row at the Royal Albert Hall weeping. Hi. You know, so they're very connected. These great pioneers of music, and so it's such an honor to play him. And and Bill and everyone did, a, I think, a great job. With, we were all honored,
1: yeah. Bill. There's a father-son connection in the in the film. Obviously, that is very that's very oblique, but still there. It's there in, in brief scenes with Brian's father, Murray, and uh, and how how disapproving he was, and how he gets other bands, and then of course when Giamatti shows up as Dr. Landy, he's a he's a surrogate father in a way, right? It's a that's very much a relationship that it feels like in the film. Uh, Brian is searching for in a way, and and takes a dark turn.
3: Right? Yeah, no, obviously, uh, you know, you want to present all your characters in in a film if you're going to present a story you want all the characters to be well rounded and and even people you know clearly Dr. Landy was a controversial figure and it's hard not to see just the dark side of it but you'd also try to you know fill it out and find the humanness in it. and I think Paul Giamatti did did that remarkably well
1: yeah, yeah and this the scene with the hamburger John where where he he's essentially scolding him and then sort of kisses him it's a it's a denial of something and then also but it's a but I love you kind of thing. It's very much very conflicted and very yeah, complex. It
0: was, it was very abusive and um uh you know it's this must have been what it was like we were we were filming one day and I, we were listening to I was listening to the smile sessions and trying to do some scene, and I got a text Brian's here, and we all went, "Whoa, my God, <laughs> And there was Brian and Al Jardine wow. and we all sort of were shocked, and then we said alone, we went back into the scene. It was great, but it's strange to talk about the Wilsons with them right right here, right. but yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah, that was a that was a very intense and and, and dark period of his life, but um, what's great is that he got through it. and yeah. so um, yeah, that's the that's the, triumph of it yeah
1: and our last clip does have a look at that triumph we'll take a look at it right now
0: are you having fun
2: having so much fun i love being with you and not with gene and the whole gang watching us
0: oh uh gene told me to tell you that he was sorry about the other day the barbecue that doug gave me the wrong dosage and um so that's why he lost his temper and that he's really sorry but anyway i wanted us to have a good time and and that's why it's good that Evan was here So, you
2: know. How do you know Evan?
0: Evan's Jean's son.
2: Ah, so we're still being watched.
0: (laughs) Yeah. We could do whatever we want.
2: I think we should do whatever we want, too.
0: What do you want to do? Evan, will you take the... Can you swim? I <laughs> have will you take the boat in really close to shore? I want it to show Melinda my house. Go ahead and pass the kiln. Sure thing. Whatever makes you happy, Brian. All right, I the count of three, I you to get up. I want you to jump in the water and I want you to come over to my house. <laughs> what? Right what? Now. You ready? Come Are on. You serious? Yeah, let's do it. Just us to this scene and make it like teenagers. In or out? And one, two,
1: three. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, did that really happen? Was that was that based That on actually fact? happened,
2: yeah. We they, we drove off the boat. That was in nineteen when was that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Melinda. <laughs> 87. Eighty-seven. Yeah. Wow. It is. It uh, metaphorically, and Bill, as an Oscar-winning producer, you know this better than I. Uh, that is jumping off into the deep end. That are two. That's two characters taking a leap and saving their lives and jumping off in the deep end, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it is. I mean, but it also speaks to a, a bigger we were uh, dynamic <laughs> of, of the film and the story. Is that you know Brian and Melinda have had led very big lives, but honestly, a lot of the things that have happened to them you wouldn't believe. And and so when you're trying to tell a story, you know, yeah. make a film about them, yeah. you're worried that like people aren't gonna believe it, like that, yeah. that we just did this because you know, it was the Hollywood way out or something. Yeah. Like the meeting uh, in the, in the
0: yeah. Cadillac uh, yeah. store.
3: Or, there is, or is, the, the, they the Cadillac, reunion. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. You know, they, they end up, Brian, in the movie, Brian walks in front of Melinda's car and that's how they reunite and we're writing that Oren and I are kind of working on the scene that's like, well, nobody's going to believe this. Nobody's going <laughs> to believe that we didn't just make this up and, yeah. you know, to e- ease it through it, but it all actually happened. So
1: It's, it's an extraordinary scene, and, and Melinda is looking through Elizabeth Banks, is looking kind of at the figure that's coming at her as the sun is glinting, and it's Brian kind of coming into focus. It's really, it's really remarkable, and the whole film is remarkable. We're going to take a couple of questions now from the audience over here on the left side. Yeah. Uh, first of all, Brian. Thank you for all the music. I listen to the Beach Boys every day. Um, my question's about the, uh, the movie. What are, what are some of the fav- favorite tracks you like to play? Also, uh, on your tour this year, does it feel good to have Al Jardine and Blondie Chap- Chaplin back with you on stage?
2: Yeah, very much so, the, yeah. Uh, I appreciated what, what Al sang, 1963, on Help Me, Rhonda, yeah. and uh, Mike Love on Good Vibrations, and so on and so
1: forth. Yeah. No. Uh, Mr. Cusack, what are some of the favorite tracks off a, of a Smile that you like?
0: Everything and everything off the Smile Sessions, but you know, you can hear the, just the opening prayer, you know, kind of our prayer is just wild. And then uh, wind chimes and uh, uh, you're welcome. I mean, it just, it's just, every every piece of it is genius. So it, you can listen to the whole thing and then you can listen to the demos and, and the layers on the Smile Sessions record and some things that, uh, there's one thing called Tune X, and I don't even know what he had in mind for it because he never made the cut, but it's it's magical. And you can hear, they're, they're, a, they're a real treasure. All of the music is.
3: I, I've fortunately gotten a chance to see the movie, which is a fantastic film. It's great. Thank you. Um, and one of the things that really impressed me and impacted on me was the power music has. When you get away from all the other distractions that how the music uh, affected your life and obviously how you connected with it you know, in making, and you connected could you guys talk about, in making the film, for the three of you, how you maybe reassessed or re, uh, rethought things about music maybe the music that's meant the most to you, or um, music that you guys discussed uh, in, from the Beach Boys songs on Well I, first
2: of all I was young, and creative you know And uh, back then, I didn't really realize what I was really into. I was too young and naive to to know what I was doing. And then later on in my life, when I saw this movie, I relived that experience. You know.
3: Well, yeah, I don't know if you want the broad or the or the specific. But I mean, you know, if you're asking about specific songs or music that came to appreciate more for sure during the process. You know. One song, for example, Surf's Up, I think you know we've all heard Surf's Up, um, kind of the version that came out on, on, on the album and all. But I guess I particularly connected with Brian's solo version of Surf's Up that was part of a documentary that he did back in the late 60s, just him on the piano. And that's we recreate that version in the movie, kind of a shot-by-shot shot recreation of that film. So that one it really moves me a lot you know, actually more so than the album version,
0: but I was, uh, I, I, did a, um, a movie about people who love music, high fidelity. And, the the thing that I remember most it was set in England, but we set it in the, in Chicago and took away the Cockney accents. And the only three things, the greatest snobs in music could ever agree on was that Brian Wilson was on everybody's top five list. <laughs> so, um, you know, to, to me, like a great piece of art or a great story or a great performance or a great piece of writing a great song is the, you know, poets speak for us when we don't know how to express all of our feelings. And um, so uh, it's pure fuel and inspiration and they're North Stars, you know, the great poets and artists. So um, that's why it's an honor to, to do this.
3: Also, I mean, I think for me too, I, I think that a lot of people appreciate Brian's music and the Beach Boys music but often a larger group tends to think of it as just surf music and, and kind of, oh, wasn't that fun, 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 and all that stuff. And if you look, go back and look at that music, there was a lot more going on. It was much more complex. And the things he was doing in that kind of seemingly simple envelope was really amazing. And to have people start to appreciate the depth of his genius even back in those days.
0: And you also think about music what, that... Um, a certain time in your life, you know, I remember the first time I heard pet sounds, you know, in high school. And I remember the first time I heard the clash. And I remember, you know, all those, those things. And um, it helps define who you are autobiographically. And you experience your life through art. And then as you change, you know, the art's still there. And then you kind of revisit it again and you've moved on a bit. So it's a, it's a tough question, but a good one.
1: I always love how a great film, if you go to it at different times, is exactly what you're saying, John. you go to it at different times in your life, you may associate with different characters, you may see different philosophies in it, and I think a great song is like that, too. God Only Knows being a perfect example of it. We all heard it probably when we were 14, 15. When you start to really listen to it, at a certain point, as Murray uh, Wilson says, it's a musical suicide note. But it's—I mean, there's so—it's not even that. There's so many more levels going on to to just that one song, not to mention so many others.
0: And when you're doing something new, it can't always—you know—it's very rare. I mean, it's really nice that everybody's loving this movie right now when it comes out. But when you're really innovative, it—it's—it's not—you know—it's not, you know, it's not a, a slam dunk that everybody's going to appreciate the genius right now in real time. You know, sometimes it takes a while. And yeah. uh, it, Brian was so successful that I think the. Pet Sounds and the Smile record, it just took a while for the world to catch up to mm-hmm. how brilliant this creation was, yeah, yeah. and um, it just speaks to the creative process and, you know, this sort of instant gratification culture we have, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit, that you got to let Yeah, know. I, 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 I
2: owe that a little bit to my collaborator, Van Dyke Parks, who was a,
0: a genius
2: lyricist and a great music guy, and together we created a very special kind of a music thing,
1: yeah. Hi, guys. First of all, Brian, thanks for the beautiful music. Uh, it's still inspiring people today. And uh, it's great to hear you guys mention Smile, which is probably my favorite record ever. Mine uh, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, John, it was great to hear you mention that that was inspiring for you. I wondered if you could just tell us real quick, like, I know obviously Pet Sounds is a big focus of the movie, but how much of uh, Van Dyke and uh, the Smile sessions do we get to see? And maybe if you could each tell us your, uh, which track on Smile was, like, the most inspiring to you. Well, you
0: do see a lot of this. uh, You do see a lot of smile and pet sound sessions, right? I mean,
3: yeah, I mean, again, we so much. We we were facing a lot of decisions here of trying to tell a story and hopefully a very intimate story about Brian and Melinda. And, you know, we had to make some hard choices. Honestly, we shot a bunch of stuff during the smile sessions. Uh, Ultimately, you know whether you're happy or not, you know, some of it, it's not all on, exactly, yeah, exactly. You do
1: see, you do see Brian performing Love and Mercy at the end, too, yeah.
3: Hi, um, Brian, your creativity has made quite an impact in the world, and from what I'm hearing, it seems that maybe you weren't able to appreciate yourself as much as everyone around you was appreciating you, and... I'm wondering if this movie and the amazing people you worked with have has given you an opportunity to really love yourself more, to really.
2: Yeah, well, watching the movie went two different ways. One, I was excited, and another one, I was totally depressed. You know, and uh, through it all, my depression didn't stop me from producing. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Wilson, thanks for the music, including the stuff that came before and after Pet Sounds and Smile. I just wanted to know, was there anything in your life that you wish showed up in the movie but had to be cut or just wasn't written into it? Well, of course, I always answer these questions like uh, the the worst part of my life was taking drugs that weren't as good for my mind, and that was tough for me to go through. But it didn't stop me from uh, producing, you know... The smile sessions and the pet sounds, you know? Awesome.
0: Okay. So, first of all, this movie is just so amazing because it's not only just a movie about music, but there's just so many different levels of complexity. Um, That's what I found so extraordinary about this. Um, So what my question is, besides hanging out with the Wilsons, how else did you prepare for this part you know um to to really get a feel for the beautiful complexity of brian wilson's soul you know there had to be even more to it to really get a full picture well i mean i i i think um the way I went into it was was the music and when I was listening to the sessions and the smile sessions you know you can hear him interacting with his friends, you can hear him joking around and doing comedy with uh, uh, Hal Blaine and you can you get a portrait of who he was and then when he was going through his dark period you know you had to mask that a little bit and then it came out again when he met Melinda. So I always went back to the music and it's all there in the music you know so many complex emotions and the depth of emotion. and. Um, and then I think, you know, it's, uh, people mistake kindness for weakness sometimes, but you know, it takes a lot of courage to like live with a really open heart. And so the music and him and his story sort of challenge you to open yourself up and really be vulnerable. And um, so I don't know, I don't know how Paul did it or I did it. I just, I'm happy that they're happy. <laughs>
1: And this movie, you walk out of the film really with a smile on your face. I mean, that sounds like a cliche, but it is really true. It has an extraordinary final shot, final moment. That is really wonderful. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Love and Mercy. It opens tomorrow. Go and see it. The legendary Brian Wilson, Phil Polad, John Cusack.